Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 289 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is October 7th, 2013. Got a big show for you this week on the podcast by week for USC. And coming up on Thursday, USC hosts Arizona in a Coliseum Thursday night contest. We got a lot of questions, though, about what's been going on, of course, with the USC coaching situation. We're going to get to all that. We've got Dan Weber coming up a little bit later on in the show. We'll have Coach Harvey Hyde in the first segment. If you have questions for us, podcast at uscfootball.com. That is our email address, or you can call 206-888-6755. Leave a voicemail there or go right to peristylepodcast.com. Leave a voicemail on the left side of the page. Without further ado, Coach Harvey Hyde. What's up, sir? How are you? Well, Ryan, good morning to you. A short week as far as for USC Trojan fans. A great football weekend this past weekend. Great game between Stanford and Washington. Hey, Washington's for real. But everybody's more concerned about what's happening at USC in the Arizona game and the coaching change and the interim head coach and all of that and the coaches that are being coaching changes that are being done to the program as far as philosophies. So, you know, everything's great with me. But, uh, Ryan, I'm going to let... You ask me questions and all of our callers. Yeah, well, let's get to that. I wanted to thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets, sctickets.com. Pretty simple to remember. 1-800-888-7287 is the phone number if you need tickets for anything. Lots of sports going on. We got Dodgers baseball. You got hockey starting, which is crazy. I can't believe it's hockey season. Of course, USC football, even if you want to go to UCLA game. Lots of stuff going on here in Southern California and across the country. And uh, Coach Big news since, you know, we, we did the show last week. Obviously, Lane Kiffin was fired. A lot of change since then. We've seen a couple of practices. Ed Orgeron's named the interim head coach. I wanted to get your thoughts on this whole situation, how it's come down from you know, just over a week ago when Lane Kiffin was fired. Well, it's gone from a process of uh, people being in shock on Sunday, not that people didn't look forward to it. It possibly could happen just when it was going to happen, depending on how the Trojan football team played and unfortunately it happened during the midseason it's the first time ever in USC Trojan football history this has happened this way Uh, but you've got to look at it as far as the relief for coach Kiffin as far as now uh, not worrying about facing the media worrying about what everybody's saying and giving a chance now for coach Ed Orgeron who's been a the face of USC football with Pete Carroll and been around for a long time he came I think with Paul Hackett and now he's been with Lane Kiffin and uh to have his shot at uh, a long interview process that's why I look at it it's a I look at it as I know the number one job in the country at Orgeron would want would be the USC Trojan football job like many not just coach Orgeron many I've said it before on a lot of the ESPN shows and so on it's uh, one of the premier college coaching jobs in the country so what you have here is a coach that's stepping up, still being a position coach, trying to be a head coach, following where there's a lot of problems and making the necessary changes to try to finish this season out. And during the same process of time of doing this, interview for the position. Because the way uh, Ed Orgeron would possibly get the head coaching position is to be successful on the field and do things that the USC family liked that the football world liked, that the football world could uh, endorse and, and say, hey, why bring anybody else but you have one here, someone here already in place the kids love, they played their know-what-off, and, and uh, why make a change, just continue with what's going on. So that's why a lot of these changes are doing it, and he's doing it his way. Now, I always said one thing that Lane Kiffin did it. He did it his way. When you're a head football coach, you do it your way. And Ed Orgeron is doing it his way. I know he's been the head football coach in Mississippi. Everybody says, oh, he wasn't successful in Mississippi. Well, let me tell you, he was younger then. He recruited great players there. The following coach came in and did well. 
you got to say what's going to happen now, what changes is he making to people like. Now, currently, Ryan, I like everything he's done so far. Every single thing he's done so far as far as relieving the pressure on the players, uh, trying to – the one statement I really loved, and I think a lot of people heard this when he took off the yellow jerseys of the quarterback, he said, hey, uh, one heartbeat, one team. And that's exactly what it is. It's one heartbeat, one team. And, uh, you know, you put the, the yellow jersey on the quarterbacks to protect him, but he says, hey, we're all going to be one. We're only as good as each other, and it's time we go out and play that way. Now, I could go on and on and on with all these changes he's done that I like, and I don't want to ramble. So you you tell me if I'm rambling too long, okay? Oh, right. Okay, Coach. You're fine. <laughs> all right. So, you know, the first thing he wanted to do is break down this barrier between the media. And he certainly did. He joked with him. He invited him to practice. He's opened the doors out, up, said, come on in. You're part of the family. Without you, we don't have any reporting. The football world doesn't know what we're doing here when you only have seven minutes with me after practice. And you don't, you're not able to talk to our players. And I need to get our football world out to recruits and, and our fans. Your fans weren't getting any information. You guys weren't getting any information to talk about or report about except things that were negative as far as uh, assuming who was going to play, not knowing who was going to play. So the injury report thing changed, too. Immediately he comes out and he says, wide receiver, Marquise Lee, sprained knee, and will not practice today, so and so and so. And you have a daily report on the progress of the players. What's the big deal? I mean, why when they come on the field, you know who's going to play. <laughs> So, you know, that was something I could never figure out why, and it really did upset the media to a point because they couldn't really pass on to the readers or to the listeners of what was going on. So uh, also, you know, the changes he's made with the, uh, recruiting. He was out everywhere in the local area. Not that they weren't before, but everybody knew they were out now recruiting on the weekend. I mean, he told you where he went to what school. He 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 said he wants to have a helicopter flying to all different schools. He says we got to get the word out that SC football is for real. That we've got to put a fence around it, and he's out there attempting to do that. So that's what I like, and I think all Trojan football fans like that to get out and recruit great players. Uh, also, uh, he's named Clay Helton, the offensive coordinator. And this is something I think that needed to be named so everyone can identify who's going to be in charge of the offense. And it's not like he has to change the offense. It's just that he has to put the portions of that offense together that will make it a, uh, make it a successful type of offense. And we talked about that last week and what I would do. And I'm really looking forward to see if he does what I talked about him doing last week. Uh, the less music at practice, you know, uh, that was sometimes disturbing to me. Uh, this is a work environment. I mean, I know a lot of universities are playing music now at practice. Some is good, uh, maybe during the breaks, but not and when you're working in your office. You don't have loud music in the background when you're trying to talk to a customer or make a sale. Well, when you're coaching, you've got to have players attention, not someone in the background bobbing his head up and down with the beat of the music. I think that's great. They love the music, but I think there's a time and place for that. I'm old school. Uh, I like it that he's coaching on both sides of the ball. Now, I said last week, and I thought he should hire a defensive uh, line coach that played for him, that knows what he wants, so occasionally he can leave the defensive front and go over to the offensive side of the football. And be a part of their huddle, too. So those kids get the same inspiration that the defense gets, which he's trying to do. Uh, he's trying to get the kids to play hard. He's changed the training table, as you all know, where if a kid wants a box of cookies, let him eat it, if that's what it makes, ha makes him happy. Now, of course, if you're ga gaining 50 pounds, there's a point of how many cookies you should have. So all these changes, I think, are good for the morale. They're good for the football program. He's out there. He's amongst them. People know who he is. He has a good face. And I think it's been a good change. He's the only natural person who should have had the opportunity, not only to be the interim head coach, but this gives him an interviewing process 
for the rest of the year. And if he is successful and the team plays well, he should be a definite candidate for the head coaching position. All right. Uh, let's go to some questions, Coach. Earl in West L.A. Coach O is a refreshing contrast to Coach Kiffin. His enthusiasm and confidence appears to be infectious. And judging from the tweets and interviews, it's resonating with the players. He intends to run a simple, faster-paced version of the same offense. I think this can only yield positive results as in a 9- or 10-win season. What are your thoughts? That's Earl in West L.A. Well, you know, winning solves all problems. When you win, it's amazing what it can do for the morale of the school, the morale of the team, recruiting, the staff, and everything. During this process, he's going to do a lot of evaluating. He's going to evaluate the current coaching staff. If he did receive the head coaching position, who he'll keep and who he won't keep. He knows the plus and minuses of every coach on the staff, which I think is very positive. And it's very difficult to change somebody when you know that uh, that person works with you, you know his family, you know his kids, and so on. But he's got got to do what's the best interest for the program. Now, I'm not sure I'm answering this question exactly. Am I getting to the point of what this question was around, or am I avoiding it? I think you're getting to the point of it, yeah. No, exactly. I want to, I want to just make sure that I don't uh, answer it in, in a way where it's not getting to the point. So I think that uh, this is good. This is good as far as an evaluation of the players on the offensive side of the football uh, with the coaching staff. I would evaluate every single coach on how he uh, coached and if I want him back and his attitude. Is he a great recruiter? Uh, does he fit in with us? Uh, all of this has to go on, too, along with winning. You've got to win. If Ed Orgeron does all this uh, media and all the recruiting and all this stuff and you don't play well on the field, and you don't slow down Arizona, you don't slow down some of these teams you're playing, and you don't get the W or you don't score, then I'm sorry, it just doesn't happen. just doesn't happen. Because this is an interview process for him. He's got to be successful. Winning is the only answer, and winning solves everything. Um, before we get on, I wanted to mention Coach Harvey Hyde has a Twitter account now, at Coach Harvey Hyde on Twitter, and you can follow him at Coach Harvey Hyde. You can follow me, of course, at Inside Troy. And I wanted to mention that now, Coach, because David had a question on Twitter here. Um, if you were in Lane's shoes, he wants to know of the coach. That's you. Would you make a statement or something along those lines on Twitter? Wouldn't that be the classy thing to do? This total silence make me feel like he's a wimp, to put it nicely. That's David. Well, uh, it's always good to hear uh, a thank you it's always good to hear. I appreciated the opportunity of being the head football coach at USC. I want to thank the administration. I want to thank the people that uh, made this possible for me. I want to thank our players for played hard. I want to thank the people who are going to settle with me and give me a nice contract of money. I'm just kidding you on that one. <laughs> but, but, yes, I think it's classy to have a statement. And it can come from a release. It can come from uh, Tim Tessalone. I would not have it be a Twitter because a lot of people don't follow him or Twitter. I'd, I'd have it a, re a release come out of the sports information department that every newspaper gets nationally. And it gets out there where people can write and take his quotes and say, uh, this is uh, Coach Lane Kiffin's comments on his years at USC and maybe talk about the future a little bit. People are always asking uh, what are you going to do? What's he going to do? Is he going to stay? Is he, well, you know, all of these type of things you want to answer the people. And, and you want to erase uh, uh, a lot of questions, but you never want to burn a bridge. Why, you, why would you want to burn a bridge? Like in the state of Tennessee, he has a tough time going back to Tennessee. But in Southern California, he can live in Southern California. It's a beautiful place. He lives in Manhattan Beach. So come out with something classy. And say, I'm not sure what I'm going to do, or I will look for a job, or I just want to take a vacation for a while and go to some of my kids' events, and then I'll rehash again what I want to do. I think that's a classy thing to do. I agree with this this uh, question 100%. Um, well, okay, Coach, we got to talk about the coaching changes and stuff, but we want to talk about the team. We had some technical questions on stuff that's been going on with the team. Obviously, there's a lot of enthusiasm right now. 
but Ed Orgeron hasn't coached the game yet for USC, so we'll see what happens on Thursday. So here's some – we have a, a few questions here I want to get to. This one's on the uh, running backs. We'll start with this one. J.D. from D.C. with a question for Coach Hyde and or Dan Weber. Um, last week uh, I noted that uh, Clancy seemed to be getting a pass for his poor performance uh, at the SU game. Uh, nobody seems to be talking about the running backs coach, and he seems to have done an extraordinary job with two young runners uh, struggling with a uh, offensive line out of sync. I wonder what their uh, thoughts on that are. Also, to the best of my knowledge, uh, Lane Kiffin did not address the team in any form after he was terminated. Now, he may have been precluded from doing that by the uh, university, but I see no indication that he made an effort to reach out and give a farewell to the team. And if so, um, don't they find this strange? Uh, I think it's if that's the case, it's very indicative of the relationship he had with uh, uh, the uh, players on this team. Well, you know, uh, I agree with him. Uh, uh, 100%. I think Tommy Robinson has done a great job with the running backs at USC. He's got some talent there that he's developing. I don't think any of them really had the opportunity to develop uh, uh, at the state they should have. I mean, Troy Madden has. He's he's done a tremendous job. As you see now, Justin Davis has tremendous talent. And believe me, Buck Allen had a great fall camp and a great spring camp. He can play, too. I've suggested that they go to a two-back set if you didn't listen last week and play two tight ends and play just one split receiver since everybody's injured and really take advantage of that, try to get some mismatches and play two running backs at the same time. You've got to get your athletes on the field, guys who can score, guys who can make plays. I think one of the strengths of the offense is their receivers, tight ends, and also running backs. So let's get them on the field. Let's let it happen. I mean the skilled running backs. So, uh, yeah, he has done a good job. He's a good guy. He really is a good guy. I had him on one of our shows. He interviewed well. I put him on the spot at times, and uh, he, he came back and answered it really fairly and as clear as uh, what he could. Uh, as far as addressing the team, I think he should have been allowed to do that. I really do. Whether he was allowed to do that or even asked to do that, I have no idea. I know that normally when you're terminated uh, – you want to be able to do that. I know that he didn't clean out his office, as we all know, most of us, that they, he had a staff member clean his office out. He didn't want to go back on campus to do that. Uh, I remember when UCLA was terminated, when they terminated Bob Toledo, they didn't allow him back, and the season was over with, and they didn't allow him to clean his office out or allow him to go to the football banquet. So this will be a different situation at USC because he was terminated mid-year. I always feel it's classy to call the team together and uh, thank the team and tell them to practice what I've told you to practice. That means it's not a sin to get knocked out, to sin not to get up. I'm going to go out of my world now and practice what I've been telling you. I was unfortunately knocked down, but I'm going to get up and charge every morning like you should. I'm going to decide how, what direction I'm going to charge, and uh, I want you to follow that. I don't want you to feel sorry for me. I want you to look for your future. I've had a great opportunity to work at a great university, and things will work out for me, and I hope they all work out for you. I thank you for everything you've done for us, and I wish you and your family the best, and I'll be following you and cheering for you. That's exactly what I would say in a short version. All right. Uh, good stuff there. Let's say Martin... Uh, in Ontario, he says, from what I've seen, why doesn't USC use an extra offensive lineman for pass protection instead of an extra tight end or a fullback? I've seen both the fullback and tailback get tangled up with offensive linemen in pass protection. I've seen tight ends get beat uh, off the edge. At least we can get an extra offensive lineman in. They can put the tailback in motion instead of the tight end or wide receiver. Also, an extra offensive lineman can help with the running game and get another guard or tackle game reps what do you think about a sixth offensive lineman I haven't heard that suggestion before coach well you know the the main time you do that is on the goal line I mean when you need an extra big body in there to put get some push off the offensive line and run behind them to get a you know get that yard that's necessary as far as pass blocking is concerned obviously a tackle is a better pass blocker than a tight end they practice it more 
They're stronger. They're bigger. Tight ends really have to do many, many different functions. Not only do they have to pass block, run block, but they have to run pass routes too. So this is why the tight end has to be such a tremendous athlete. But a tackle uh, can uh, do that. You can do that. And if you do do that, uh, then obviously you, if you want your tight end in the game, you can take a receiver out and use your tight end as a big, bigger receiver in the slot or also as an outside receiver and uh, have your fast receiver in the slot. So there's different ways of doing it as far as in helping your pass rush. You've got, you've got to cut down your pass rush. You'll never get a pass out. And the number one way of doing that, since SC has some running backs, is to get your running game going and play action pass and then have some outside pressure on the corners where the corners just can't play pass all the time. You've got to put some stress on the corners on the outside with the running game. So they have to tackle, and they get beat up a little bit. And FC has not done that except for the toss they ran maybe once a game. And as I've said it, and I've said it again, I'll say it again, their backs are too deep where they never get there. Two people, it's too slow. You know, they can run lead option. I don't know if a lot of you guys understand what lead option is, but it's a way of getting to the outside. The quarterback doesn't have to carry the football, but he can. He can turn up if everybody's going to the outside, turn up and get two or three yards. But at least you have to defend it. You've got to, you've got to let the defensive coordinator of the other team say they can do this and they can do that. Not They never do that. Or we don't care if the quarterback runs because he can't run. So, you know, you've got to take that doubt away so that you do form problems or have problems for the defensive coordinator to try to stop your offense. And, and of course, this is not talking just about pass blocking, but there's different ways of doing it. Um, so looking forward to the offense, Coach, on Thursday. We're not really sure what to expect. We'll be you know, watching. And we're still getting some of these questions, though, about I think people are unsure if Cody Kessler is really the guy that, that should be running this offense. So let me play this voicemail question for you. Hi, I've been a USC fan since 45 years now. Uh, I'd like to know is, uh, once you give that guy Max Brown, the quarterback, a young kid there, like, give him a chance to uh, see what, he, what he's got. You know, giving everybody else, I, this is my opinion, but uh, I think he'd be a great quarterback one day, but uh, give him a shot. Then go in there and see what he can do. If not, well, you guys make that decision. Thank you, bye. Well, thank you for your call. Uh... Let me let me address that question because I hear that question all the time. Uh, are these quarterbacks what they're supposed to be? They're highly rated, but are they what they are supposed to be? You see freshman quarterbacks playing all over the country, doing great jobs. Richard uh, quarterbacks like Janice uh, Winston at Florida State. He's a redshirt freshman. Look what he's doing. You see freshman quarterbacks, the kid at Cal or everybody else. Freshman quarterbacks can play. If they're athletes and can play, they can learn the scheme. I think the scheme that Coach Kiffin had was very difficult, but I'm not going to use that as an excuse. I'm going to say, as a coach and a professional, if I can't tell I don't have a quarterback after these two guys being around me for two and a half years, then I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) Because if they aren't the caliber of quarterback, that you can win the Pac-12 with or to go to a national championship game or whatever, then it's your responsibility to find one. Even if you had to go to the junior college ranks, you do make mistakes. Well, I'm not saying they made mistakes. I'm not going to pinpoint that. I'm saying they must think that that these two quarterbacks, Kessler and Wittick, are the are the future, at least this past staff did or coach Kiffin thought. So, you know, we second guess when we say, are they that good or aren't they that good? So I think that time will tell, but I am puzzled with that too, because I'm puzzled because I say, did they give them too much to do? Did they teach them? Are they declining rather than getting better? You know, you look for a quarterback or any position player to get better after the number of years you're out of school. But you're coaching them. They're learning the offense. They're supposed to be achieving more. Well, are they achieving more? Are they getting better? Has Whitty gotten better since the Sun Bowl? I thought he played a pretty good game against Notre Dame a year ago. So 
you know, is it coaching? Is it misevaluation? Or is it that they just don't know? Because you can't get caught with your pants down without a quarterback, no matter what style of football you play. So I'm laying it on everyone. I'm saying someone has either misevaluated or these guys are great quarterbacks and they're not getting better. That's my answer. All right. Now we got one last one for you, Coach. This is from uh, Jesse Rodriguez. He's a retired sergeant up in the state of Washington. Uh, Thanks for your service, Jesse. Um, Why are we not seeing a true 5-2, in parentheses, 3-4 defensive alignment? Seems like we're always in a nickel setup. And why aren't our linemen – I'm sorry. And why doesn't it seem like our linemen are just not tough and mean? I thought Coach Summers were supposed to be a big-time offensive line guru. So I guess there's two questions there. He wants to know about the the 5-2 scheme and then also about the uh, offensive line? Well, uh, that's a good question. Uh, you know, when I coached the 52 or 54 defense, or remember the old days it was called an Oki. I don't know how many of you guys were around, but Oklahoma okay, started huh? the 52. Huh. You remember that, Ryan? I, I do not, but I, I, I know what he's talking about. If you looked at the beginning of the game against Arizona State, it was, they call it the Trojan uh, as opposed to nickel, but it's basically an extra defensive back. They have an extra safety. But, yeah, right. they didn't have Antoine Woods in for the first, I don't know, five, six, seven plays or something. So they didn't really do that 5-2 scheme. Right, because basically what they were saying is they'd rather have a faster a cover guy, linebacker-type guy, uh, skilled player on the field to stop the way they spread the field. Arizona State spreads the field. They feared the pass more than they did the run. And if you looked at the stats before the game, uh, Kelly, Taylor Kelly, was throwing the heck out of the ball, and they were having problems running the football. They really did. So they said, let's take away what they do the best, and that's what they've done is the passing game. Uh, they basically, uh, it worked for a while, then nothing worked. So then what you try to do is... Uh, try a lot of different things to see if you can make adjustments to slow Arizona State down. But it was difficult. They were on the field the entire game because of turnovers, miscues, and it was just not a great defensive game. It was the first spread, hurry-up offense, really hurry-up offense that the Trojans had faced in a hostile house. When it was uh, that 21-20, I think it was, the Trojans were uh, in front, and then they just completely collapsed, but they didn't quit. I think the defense got tired rather than quitting, as people thought they had quit. I don't think they quit. I think they learned a lot from that game as far as how to play these type of formations. Now, Coach Pendergrass has seen it before, but if I'm an offensive coordinator, okay, and, I, and I'm in at any team in the Pac-12, I get every film that, was, that, that Cal had played last year. As a defensive coordinator, and I and I chart it, I break it down. There's only so many ways Coach Pendergrass is going to line up. So I break down every single thing he's done for the last two years at Cal, and I and I make game plans. You're going to see the same thing now that he did there. He's not going to make it up with a few improvements. So he's not like a stranger to Arizona State. He's like they played him last year. I don't know if they did play them last year, Arizona State played Cal. I don't know. But all I know, they got films on every single team that played him last year, and that's where they def- that's where they game-planned it because they hadn't played a team that does what he- they did. And it was successful. They were ready for it. It wasn't a shock. And the same thing's going to happen against Arizona and against all the other teams that they play. They all break down what he did at Cal. Because there's no surprises with that. Now, was there a second half of that question? Uh, no, no. That well, uh, as far as oh, why they played? That's they played just because why you said it. That because they felt that that's the way they had to play to stop Arizona State. And he, but he also wanted to know about the offensive line for the other part of it. The yeah. offensive line. Uh, I think uh, everyone expected the offensive line to be improved more than what it's improved. When I watch them, uh, you're right. They, they're not going to bite your ear where the referee can't, is watching your hands, but you bite the jersey to hold the guy. Uh, 
the, they, to me, I, I don't see vicious play out of them. Uh, they're all nice kids. I haven't seen a fight at practice. Not that I think fighting's uh, something that you should do at any time during the game or so on, lose your control. But I do think you have to be what you call, uh, I hate to use this term, an animal, because you're being, you're training gladiators. Let me ask you, when you coach a football team, don't you think you're training gladiators that go into the big arena on Saturday and the people cheer and this and that, and the only thing you do is you hope that the thumbs go up and the thumbs don't go down. The thumbs go down, you're in deep, you know what. So, yeah. Uh, I'd like to see him be a little bit more physical. I'd like to see him be a lot more physical. I'd like to see him be a lot more athletic. Uh, I think sometimes the the athletic uh, ability has not been to what we all thought it should be in watching them on certain plays. And more intense. I think intensity is something that you have to have as an offensive lineman. And I hope now, because of I hope, them making the offense more simpler and assisting these offensive linemen to believe in what they're doing and run the football and have two back sets and keep some counteraction, some things in there to assist them that they'll gain the confidence that they have to have to bring this attitude to them. But you can't expect them just to overnight have this attitude. Coach Summers, I don't know Coach Summers. I can't speak for Coach Summers. Uh, I know he's coaching his butt off along with Coach Greg, and I just hope that the offensive line does does get better. Otherwise, uh, you know, it's not too good. All right, Coach, great stuff. We had a lot of stuff to get to even during the bye week. There's always stuff going on. So thanks again. We'll uh, we'll talk to you next Monday about what's going on, what happened with USC on Thursday night against Arizona. Fight on, Trojan fans. We're all very excited about this season. My name is Louis Tangay, and I'm the managing director of Circle Marketing. Like USC, Circle Marketing has a long track record of success. Ours hasn't been on the football field, though. We have been very successful in helping the small businesses of America get the kind of marketing strategy and support previously only affordable by large companies. For example, by going to circlemarketing.com, you can view our portfolio, read our case studies, and see how we were able to increase business by 90%, grow social media followings by 10 times what it was when we started, and how our websites and marketing strategies have helped our small businesses reach and exceed all of their marketing goals time and time again so come visit circlemarketing.com today read our case studies and testimonials and see what we've done for other small businesses like yours then contact us and find out what we can do to help your small business too circle marketing the company that fights on for your small business we're back here on the peristyle podcast got uscfootball.com beat writer dan weber joining the show what's up dan how you doing hey i'm doing good and looking forward to uh Short week and a Thursday game, and getting back into the swing of things, and uh, with the you know new way of, of doing things, and seeing how that's going to work. Uh, at least it's as we've said many many times here, uh, it's not all smooth, but boy, it's all news <laughs> all the time. If you're around USC, something's happening every single day, good, bad, indifferent. Something's going on. Certainly, and uh, people say, oh, there's never a boring. Uh off season it's like well it's not really even about off season this is about <laughs> how crazy it is during the season um uh, yeah i mean it's we first we used to say there is no off season now there aren't any off days there's not any off minute there aren't any off minutes i mean that sat from saturday night you know from what happened at arizona state i mean you know i think in sport covering sports i had one other night kind of like that at the Olympics in Atlanta on the night of the bombing when everybody, you know, you didn't know what was going to happen. Everybody was up all night. Stuff was going on in the middle of the night and decisions were made and, you know, press conferences and press releases. And it just went, you know, one day went right into the next day. And uh, that's kind of what happened, uh, you know, last Saturday. Kind of a, kind of amazing uh, way, way that that unfolded. And I think, uh, you know, probably – a better result than USC could have hoped for. I think they're slightly surprised at how well that was received by basically almost everybody involved, uh, except, you know, one family. Yeah. 
<laughs> other than that, uh, I think they're just shocked that, you know, everybody said, good, decisive, had to happen. They need to wait and, and all that. It's it kind of lifted kind of a, a, you know, kind of a dark cloud that was over the, over the program and how do you get through the rest of the year. And at least now, you know, there's a, a thought that, hey, maybe got eight games left or, or nine or, or whatever. Uh, maybe there is time to, you know, turn this thing around and, and get it going. And, uh, again, we'll see. Certainly Pay attention. We... Don't, don't, don't keep watching. <laughs> and, of course, they go right to a game that's on national TV Thursday. So, you know, a lot of people probably turn into that game just to see what the heck's going on who maybe otherwise wouldn't have. Certainly. And the, the, the head coach for that game will be uh, none other than Ed Orgeron. And we, our first voicemail question has to do with uh, – Coach O, so let me play that one for you, Dan. Here you go. Hi, Ryan. This is Terrian from Las Vegas. This, this question is for you and Dan. In one of his earlier comments, Coach Orgeron said with regard to this head coaching stint that he would do it his way, which I interpret to mean that he didn't do it his way at Ole Miss. Can you guys tell us what you know about his coaching tenure at Ole Miss? Love the program. Fight on. I think part of it was uh, he and the AD, who didn't get along with the next coach either, uh, I don't think he had a, an, an AD who was very not supportive. It's hard to, you know, you imagine you hire a guy, but then, you know, not very supportive of him. Uh, I don't think he got the right combination of, of coaching staff. I think he probably would really take another look at how he did that. It wasn't all that easy in those days to uh, – to get people to go to Oxford, Mississippi, probably got the wrong kind of mix of, mix of coaches. And uh, I think he wasn't himself. Uh, you know, I think there were more times where maybe he, you know, felt like he should have, you know, put a little bit more of the Ed Orgeron mark on, on things. And maybe other times he, he tried too hard, you know, maybe a little bit like Lane at, in Knoxville. And uh, I think he – He's more comfortable now being a head coach. I think it was probably if you've been in that run with USC at the time and, you know, just kind of the overwhelming success that, you know, Pete had had. But I think the the thing about, you know, Pete found out he had to be Pete. And he had tried, you know, a couple of times, and he had been with people in the NFL who weren't very supportive. And he had to fight player personnel guys and general managers and that that – that absolutely, uh, you know, wanted to do it their way. And and uh, I think that was a little bit of what, what Ed ran into at Ole Miss. And uh, he still, in a way, turned the program around. He needed one more year to have his players, uh, you know, and if he'd have had his players uh, that Houston not, you know, benefited from when he came in and, and uh, started winning. So I think, uh, you know, I think mostly, though, Ed just felt like he wasn't himself as much as he should have been uh, and just trusted his own kind of sense. Like like the idea yesterday at practice, he, he realized, you know what, the quarterbacks are part of the team. If the team's wearing Cardinal in practice, the offense is, we'll have the quarterbacks wear Cardinal. And it's just, just little things that he does, you know, uh, not nearly as much loud music. He said, I want to hear – uh, the coaches coaching. I want to hear the uh, players. I want them to be able to hear us coaching and not be drowned out by the loud music. And so he said, uh, we won't do nearly as much music. And he said, you know, maybe uh, if he played his music, it would be country and western, and that wouldn't be much uh, of a treat for the players anyway. So, uh, <laughs> But he's kind of being himself, you know, just saying, this is kind of how I feel it ought to be. Uh, it's the way they did it recruiting over the weekend where – you know, the USC coaches had kind of been in a little bit of a bunker, especially Lane, <clears throat> knowing that uh, maybe they weren't, you know, going to be that well-received. And I think, you know, Ed's instinct was we're going to be out locally and visible and really let people know here we are and uh, we want to see you and we want you to, you know, come up and say hi. And I think they got really, uh, you know, a good reception. But, again, that was that's Ed's instincts to say, you know, we're not going to, you know, hide or apologize or anything. Uh, we're going to be out there. So uh, I think that's kind of what he's talking about. He's he's more comfortable with 
with who he is now and how he wants to do things and has just has a, a better feel of it. And I, I do think it's hard that first time, you know, you get a head coaching job. I think the first time you get a head coaching job and it's in the Southeastern Conference and you're at a, you know, a school that's really been down in, you know, by far the smallest town. It might be the smallest town. Any, you know, Clemson might be in another situation. But Clemson and, and Oxford, Mississippi might be the two, you know, smallest towns where you have a major, you know, football school. And uh, it's not easy. So uh, I, think, I think that's kind of what he's talking about. All right. Uh, we get, we're getting this one a lot about, the, about offensive line stuff, Dan. Here's another voice uh, mail question for you. A question for Dan. I uh, just got done watching the Arizona State game again. I know I'm a sadist, but um, notice how bad and inconsistent the offensive line play is, and I'm wondering how you can explain that when we have two coaches there, a new coach there, and basically all three, four, and five-star players, uh, both amongst the starters and the backups. Cody uh, virtually never has a lot of time to throw, even when the team only rushes four people. doesn't have a good pocket uh, developing and people are completely unblocked. And I just want like your comment on it, and, and if you could explain what you think the problem is with the offensive line. Other uh, uh, teams across the country, their quarterbacks have all day to throw, even UCLA, Washington, and I'm just, I can't figure it out. They can't have better talent. So interested in your uh, comments and uh, hope for, for better things. Thanks. Uh, you couldn't be more correct. I mean, there is no – I mean, this is the problem. There is no explanation. That's, uh, you know, I think I've asked that question as many times as I can ask it. And uh, there's denial. There are people, you know, came out of the uh, Arizona State game saying, I thought we played great, you know, in the offensive line. Um, it's uh, it's a puzzle that I hope, you know, they, they don't give you a good answer. Uh, Ed this week is talking about making it more simple really emphasizing with the drills and emphasizing in what we're doing to be more physical. Uh, my thought was that it was basically a lot of the problem that the defense had last year, overly complex, overly, um, overly relied on players making adjustments at the line of scrimmage, as you would see in an NFL game. I mean, you can go watch, you know, Peyton Manning and Denver Broncos, and you know there's a lot of stuff going on in those guys' heads. But you're doing it with, you know, 30-year-old guys with 40 hours a week to do nothing but practice football and uh, think football. And with USC, I mean, they made a big deal out of, you know, there are actually five guys who started last year back this year, and four of them are starting, uh, you know, most of the time. And yet, because some of them, you know, move positions, they've made it sound like oh, we're starting all over again. Why are you starting all over again? Why weren't you able to build on last year? And I do think it was the uh, the overly complex uh, system, the offense, the fact that uh, it was all about thinking your way through and finding that perfect play on the play sheet and making all the right adjustments. I mean, for example, Cody's pick six last week. Uh, what happened? They they uh, read the protection wrong. Protection broke down. He gets a guy right in his face. He doesn't get a chance to see that the safety who bit the previous time they ran that play, this time was waiting and, and looking for it, didn't bite, didn't go with the post receiver. And uh, Cody couldn't see that because of the unblocked uh, defender right in his face. And the unblocked defender was because the guys made a, made the wrong call at the line of scrimmage and got the wrong uh, pass protection. That happens so often. It's just, I mean, you know, they were blocking the run. I think they came out of the game saying, well, we blocked the run pretty well some of the time. But they didn't block the pass all that well most of the time. And what, what you're saying is, one, there's a, there's a breakdown somewhere. And you only need one breakdown to, you know, ruin the pass game. Uh, it has to be solved. They can't get any better if it's not. Right now, they don't seem to have any real answers that they could actually give you other than work hard. And my hope is with, uh, with a new play caller and a, the ability to look at what the heck was going on 
and, and why. He's not telling us, but he's making it simpler. They're going to run the ball with more, you know, physicality, and they're going to use that to really run play action where it's not going to be all about, uh, you know, complicated uh, NFL-quality uh, adjustments at the line of scrimmage so that the players get in the mindset that it's all about figuring our way through this. It's all about thinking our way through. No, go block somebody, hit somebody, drive somebody, push them around, you know, do that. Um, but that hasn't been the emphasis at USC. It looks like a junior NFL team, uh, not a very good junior NFL <laughs> team. And uh, they got to go away from that. You watch those teams on Saturday and you get you do get sick to your stomach a little bit seeing how well they're executing and how poorly USC has been executing. I think part of it is if you tried to make those teams do the same things USC was trying to get them to do, they'd probably not be executing nearly as well either. That's, uh, that's my take on it. That's where I hope it's going for these guys' sake. But uh, heck of a question, and to this point, no real answer. Uh, Chris and San Pedro, kind of had the, he had two parts. The first part was kind of the same where he was talking about, is it going to get any better because it's – it seems like some of the assistant coaches, there, you know, with with the way the wide receivers are playing under T. Martin, or the offensive line coaches, he's like, do you, th- what do you think about? Because does Dan ever ask the type of questions to to find out what's going on with the assistant coaches as opposed to like what's if it's all coming on uh, Lane Kiffin's shoulders? Uh, you know, I mean, the, the assistants. I think, uh, for example, when you see what Ed Orgeron, all the changes he's made. Um, clearly, he didn't agree with with what was going on and, and some of the you know general direction that it was going. Uh, when you get to the assistant coaches, they kind of uh, you know like a T Martin. If you you talk to T, it's hard it's hard to get a good answer as to you know how is uh, you know how does Marquise Lee drop a couple of balls the way he has. Now he said, for example. In the uh, Arizona State game, despite the one big drop, that Marquise had the best game graded out, the best he's graded out ever since he came to USC, you know, more so than the Arizona game of last year. Uh, so, you know, we, we're not seeing, the, you know, the coaching film. We're not seeing the grades and all of that. It doesn't look like, you know, the wide receivers have been running the greatest patterns. It doesn't look like they've uh, created much separation, how much, again, that is, is on the receivers, how much of that is on the, you know, the scheme, uh, how much of it is, you know, the way they've been practicing. Uh, hopefully, just the way they've been pra- – I mean, they've clearly changed the way they're practicing. I mean, they're catching more balls. They're more emphasis on, um, on patterns, on the precision of patterns, on footwork, on timing. Uh, they've done a lot more of that with, with uh, you know, the wide receivers and the tight ends. And uh, – We'll see how it, how it pays off. I think, you know, maybe, you know, there was a, a lack of, of time. You know, we weren't getting to see practice. So whether, you know, some of that time was taken up and just running, you know, running plays and running offense uh, against the scout team, uh, whatever it was, you know, it wasn't working. It was obviously not working in, in so many different areas. Um, it does look like they're going to, you know, the emphasis is going to try to be to spread it around a lot more and get the ball in a lot more people's hands and, and uh, you know, just, you know, move it down the field and not try to, you know, just, you know, pick on, you know, Marquise, for example, and just throw it, throw it to him or, or not to use the tight end. So we'll see if that all works together to, you know, to kind of help, um, help get, you know, get this where it's going. I don't expect, that, you know, the assistant coaches to say, you know, Lane wouldn't listen to us or you know we didn't have enough time to to work on this or you know the kids were so discouraged about the way the offense is going they really just kind of were going through the motions we're not going to hear that I think what we'll do is is we'll see it you know when game time comes and and we might not you know that's it I mean you know Clay is not going to give away you know changes in the game plan uh I think there will be. I think you'll be able to see it. I think they're going to run quicker. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see some no huddle. Uh, I, I think, you know, they've done that pretty well. And uh, so 
but it's really going to be interesting to see what we do see Thursday night. I mean, it's uh, they've been obviously working. You know, Clay didn't go out and recruit this week. He was working on on uh, on his game plan. So there are going to be some changes, and those changes really might result in kids just being more into the game and more able to just play the game as opposed to trying to think their way through the game, which wasn't working. Um, we got a couple questions on who the next coach is going to be. Um, I'll give you I'll give you a couple of these, which is kind of Marcel. So we, we can kind of go through these quickly. Marcel, when Pete was hired, he was not coaching. Any candidates out there who are out of football? Who do you think would be considered? What about Mike Singletary? Uh, see, I'm sorry. I just <laughs> if all the guys ever coached was the NFL, and not successfully. Uh, Pete had an advantage. I mean, Pete and Pete actually hadn't been un, unsuccessful at the NFL. He had worked for two, at the time, terrible franchises. Now, New England got squared away, squared away its front office and, and player personnel people and how they were doing things. But Pete was, you know, saddled with this two terrible franchises, still had a pretty decent record as a head coach. But he had also coached, you know, at Ohio State and uh, – you know, Arkansas for Lou Holtz and, and Pete had, you know, had, had been at a lot of places where he understood, you know, what it took. And he, you know, decided if I get another shot, I'm going to take my shot. And he understood, for example, I mean, how many guys do you have coming out of the NFL who realize I can be the best recruiter in the country? And the first thing he does is he keeps that order on, on the staff as the holdover guy. So now you've got two best recruiters pretty much in the country to get the program, you know, offline. But when people just, I look at the list on our, on the board and guys are picking out, you know, failed NFL coordinators who've never had a minute in college (laughs) and say, what about this guy? And you just say, what? You kidding me? (laughs) I mean, it's it's great. You know, people have these names, but honest to gosh, you know, guys that, got burned out in the NFL, you know, coaching six months a year. Uh, they're going to like dealing with compliance, USC compliance department. You think how long do you think one of these guys who, you know, Super Bowl guy, Super Bowl winners that are, you know, working at one day or two days a week on ESPN would like dealing with USC's compliance department. Are you <laughs> kidding me? I mean, really? I mean, I want somebody to come in here and reform USC's whole relationship with compliance and, you know, the NCAA and all the other things that are involved. I want somebody to come in here and really take a look at, at things like the, uh, you know, student athletic, you know, academic services and the, uh, and, the, and, the, and the nutrition program and all those things. That's what I want somebody to do. And to do that, you've got to be a lifer as a college coach. You can't be – uh, a guy who's spent his whole life in the NFL. I mean, why not just go get Monty Kiffin again? <laughs> you know, I mean, if you want an NFL guy. Well, Dan, here, here, mean, here's an interesting one. Fight on 007. He's like, what about Tom Coughlin? The Giants are 0-5. Oh, that'd be great. Oh, <laughs> couldn't be a better guy. You know, so frustrated with the NFL, he can't see straight. I, mean, I like Tom Coughlin. I really like what he's been able to do. Are you kidding me? I mean, it's just you just say, what are you thinking about? This is a really hard job. The USC job is really, really a difficult job because you've got to basically have one of the best five or so. It's one of the five or so best jobs in college football. It's also one of the five or so hardest jobs in college football. Are you, I mean, that you would just flip a coin over somebody you can't possibly know whether they can do the job or not. And, you know, at this point in time, this isn't the first guy after Pete. This is the second guy after Pete. You don't have another four years yeah. to, to to flip around. Uh, this and it's hard to get the get this hire right. This isn't going to be an easy hire. Uh, now there are a couple of people who, if they indicated, I really want to come there. You'd be surprised, but I really would like to come there. I've always wanted to coach there. I understand what really is special about USC. Now, there may be a couple of those guys out there. Okay. But 
other than that, I mean, if you if you told me, you know, uh, uh, Urban Meyer would come and do it, I'd probably say, yeah, yeah, we'll take him. But uh, uh, I wouldn't necessarily always like him, but you could probably justify taking him. And, and the same thing, obviously, with Saban, although, you know, again, not somebody you'd probably want to deal with on a daily basis. And I'm not sure some of those skills are transferable to the L.A. market and to the USC brand and history and heritage and all the things that USC is. you probably got to be some guy who's fairly comfortable being out there on an almost daily basis. I really think, you know, I look at Chris Peterson at Boise and say, you know, when you hear the stories about how he really, really, really was happy when the media went away, as good as he did and you know, in some of the spotlight games, you just think if you come here, they're never going away. Yeah. You know, they're never going away. There were more people at last Tuesday's practice than um, more media than probably show up for the entire season of Boise practices. Probably easily more. I think we're forty three. Uh, if you added them all up for all 12 weeks or whatever <laughs> at Boise, it's probably not that many people. Uh, I'd have to think about that really seriously, which is why it makes it such a tough call. You've got to get every part of the call right, yeah. I think, uh, this time. So uh, for some of us, that might be a reason to, to, to hope Ed runs the table and they don't have to make the call. I don't know. They'd make it, if I were Pat, that's what probably I'd be rooting for at this point in time, but, uh, but we'll see. I mean, and the other problem you've got is how do you know you get down to the crunch time and you get those final three where, you know, the guy gets such an offer to stay where he is and he's already got good reasons to be where he is. And if USC is going after him real hard, that means he's done awfully well there. What if Pat, you know, Pat Fitzgerald is your guy and push comes to shove and he, looks at the $200 million football facility Northwestern is, is building him, and he says, you know, I'll probably never beat Ohio State and Michigan, but darn it, this is my school. This is my program. I built it. I'm not, uh, I'm not leaving it. Or Kevin Sumlin says, you know, that $10 million Texas A&M has offered me and his three oil wells, you know, I don't think USC can offer me any more money than that. You know, I mean, it's, this is not going to be easy. And I just don't I, don't, I don't think people should be penciling in that uh, that, that guy's out there and that USC can get him. Uh, it's, uh, this is not going to be easy. Uh, well, here's another, here's a college name for you. Um. All right. Hey, guys, good morning. I'm wondering what you think about Kyle Whittingham, Utah's coach, to be considered. The guy seems solid. I know his record's not great, but... Think about what he's got to work with and just joining the Pac-12. He just seems like a solid stand-up guy. Not that we shouldn't consider the other guys, Chris Peterson and Jack Del Rio and even Coach O, but uh, that's a name that's not being bandied out. And He did a good job last night against UCLA, and, and they're going to be reckoned with. They're going to be a tough game. Thanks. Yeah, he's a solid guy. I, you know, I, I really like him. Uh, is that what USC needs? A solid you know, stand-up guy? I don't know. <laughs> you should, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Higher, I mean, yeah. we've been around him. We like, you know, we know about, we know a lot about the program. And um, we don't know enough. I mean, we really don't know enough. I don't, I couldn't, I knew a lot about, you know, a lot of coaches and I have some insights. He would be one I just wouldn't know enough about to say, can he become one of the best five coaches in college football. If not, then there's a mismatch between the program and the coach. I mean, you're really trying to thread the needle here. You're trying to find a guy, you know, who has the potential to be that guy, you know, one of the five giants coaching college football today. Uh, That's, you know, we could look at a lot of guys and say, you know, he's solid. I like him. You know, they came close to UCLA. Uh, you know, is that is that good enough? I mean, and I'm, I'm not saying anything negative about him. I like what he's done at Utah. I like the way he coaches in a lot of ways. Uh, not so sure about, you know, offensively, uh, what his vision, 
you know, of the game is, uh, you know, like some of the things he does on defense. Uh, but uh, how do you translate that job and what he's done there? You could translate it when Urban Meyer was there. You could look at Utah and see, boom, and Florida saw that. And I think you need a guy who's so obviously the guy. So if he's at Utah and you go and you beat Alabama in the Sugar Bowl or whatever and beat, leave him for dead and you're at Utah, if you're Florida, you say, we want that guy. Uh, I'm not sure I really see that guy. That Urban Meyer, USC basically looking for that Urban Meyer guy when he was at Utah. Now, where is that guy? Who is that guy? I'm not sure. That's the guy I would want, though. Uh, one last one for you. Rundy, you mentioned this uh, two questions ago, though, Dan. Do you think if Coach O goes 7-1, and one, he gets the job? We, we all love the guy. But do you think he has the requisite pedigree to be USC's next longtime head coach? Either way, things look good after all with the Andy Enfield hiring. Pat Hayden hit a home run. That's Rundy. Yeah, I mean, I think he really did. And I think Pat got, you know, tremendous, um, you know, response and recognition for the fact that it, how good a job he did in, uh, in uh, you know, doing his homework, open, being open, uh, adjusting to what happened in the NCAA tournament. I mean, Andy Enfield, there's nobody in the, in the country, in the college basketball world, who doesn't know him. I mean, and, and he, he, he created – now, he was a – great assistant at Florida State and did some great recruiting in uh, in California, for example, and, uh, uh, you know, and kept Leonard Hamilton's program, and I like Leonard, but it really kept Florida State in a place where maybe they wouldn't have been, and I think a lot of it was, you know, Andy uh, behind the scenes, and he got a chance to be a head coach for a couple of years, and you had enough time to see what his vision of the game was, if we could find that guy. I'm all for it. I mean, a smart guy, a competitive guy, a uh, guy that deals well with the media, a kind of an uh, open, trusting guy, but very smart. Uh, if, if you could find that guy in college football, I think USC, you know, uh, even though the difference is USC's basketball program, you're in a different place than you are in, with USC's football program. Even if you found the Andy Enfield in college football, could you give him the USC job? I'm not sure. It might be one of the reasons maybe people ought to root for Ed to run the table and and uh, postpone this decision until you know maybe never. But uh, you know if that if that would happen, what a great world that would be. You know, I mean that that probably ought to be what what USC fans. You know, I mean, is it the longest of long shots? Sure, you know, it's a heck of a long shot. But uh, man, if it happens. Uh, Life is easy for uh, for everybody involved. The continuity in uh, recruiting and in the staff and then the uh, the return to maybe the, the you know the Pete Carroll you know era and that kind of thing, which has kind of been pushed in the you know way to the background too far uh, for some of us, um, and uh, and go from there. But uh, if not, I think it's time to just let that next guy you know emerge who is. Is the guy. I mean, you really, he really has to be the guy. And I, I'm not sure any of us are absolutely certain unless we could get, you know, can you get inside, you know, what is Kevin Sumlin really thinking? You know, what is Pat Fitzgerald really thinking? You know, what would Chris Peterson be like if he got the USC job? Uh, are any of those knowable? I'm not sure they are. You know, Charlie Strong, could he possibly – you know, uh, you know, get out of his, his buyout, you know, and what, and what's going to happen with the Texas job? Uh, all kinds of, you know, things that, uh, that I don't think they're knowable right now. So it's fun to talk about these things, but if I were advising people, I would say mostly just ask questions, put it out there, but I don't know that any of us have the answers at this point and probably, you know, shouldn't, shouldn't act like we do. And I'd, probably be really hesitant on an NFL, uh, you know, a guy that's just an NFL guy all the way. I, I, I just would I'd be so hesitant about that. that. That would be, I'd really have to be convinced. Uh, I mean, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Edward, I just think, gosh, 
are you kidding? I, Mike Marks, somebody had Mike Marks on a list. <laughs> Come on, please. <laughs> or the guy, you know, the guy that bombed out at Denver. Uh, no, uh, no, no. Bob it. <laughs> All right, Dan. Well, good stuff. Hey, I wanted to leave you with a statement from Juice in San Diego. Maybe you can uh, do a quick comment before we let you go. We're going to uh, appear against it. But he said, many respected coaches at all levels, including our beloved Pete Carroll, have stated in the past that Lane Kiffin is a very talented offensive coordinator, to which I respectfully say, just because you can build a violin doesn't mean you can play with the L.A. Philharmonic. That was Juice in San Diego. Yeah, especially when people are throwing things at you, you know, <laughs> uh, and, and you know, I mean, it just, yeah, it was the, the skill set that Lane had did not translate to being able to do it um, week to week, game to game, year to year. I mean, uh, uh, I think they got it right when they explained the progression was, it was heading in the wrong direction. Uh, it was getting worse, not better. And in the fourth year, things should be getting better. Forget the sanctions and all that. There was enough talent. To, um, to get that talent moving in the right direction, and it, it clearly wasn't. And, uh, and, and, you know, I thought what Pete said the other day, though, about, or, you know, Lane and Orgeron was pretty telling. You know, he was so supportive of Ed and, and you know, sad for what happened with Lane, but you didn't get the sense from what Pete was saying that it was unwarranted or shouldn't have been done or, you know, Pete, you got the sense that Pete understood exactly what was happening and why it had to happen and, and all the things that Ed brings to the, you know, brings to the table for the USC job. And, uh, and, and Pete seemed very supportive of, of the way this has gone. So, uh, you know, I think that's kind of the, the cue, you know, cue that I'm taking from uh, Pete's uh, most recent remarks. All right, Dan, great stuff. Appreciate you coming on the show. We'll see you out there Thursday at the Coliseum. Uh, thanks for again. Thanks, and looking forward to it. All right, everyone else, thank you very much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. Back again next week, talking all about the USC football team. Stay tuned for that. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.